the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. So glad to be in the house with you, just um, <laughs> trying to multitask before you and I engage. And um, okay, I'm getting some feedback. We got some problems. I can hear myself. Um, there we go. Um, <laughs> as I was saying, as I was saying uh, to myself, apparently, because everything I said came right back. You know, that's a bad day. It's like judgment day. You know, when everything you say you have to give account for, you have to hear it again and go, did I say that? Anyhow, welcome to the Monday edition of Lifeline. Let me cut this down now. I can do that. And uh, yours truly, Jesse Gistan, in the house with you on one yet one more gorgeous, phenomenal, wonderful day of weather and sunshine and vitamin D and all the other nutrients that go into absorption of uh, of the California inheritance, one 367 one I love the opportunity, the, um, the, uh, the privilege, if you will, of being able to talk with you for two hours when I'm, when I'm uh, returning again from a wonderful Sabbath. This morning, I got up about five o'clock. 530, um, <clears throat> wondering how to negotiate a number of uh, of events that I have to work through uh, throughout the course of this week, as well as prepare to come and talk with you and to think about what we're going to talk about. It just, you know, I, I have one of these uh, these these real gracious positions where really I could open the phone line and just wait for you to call and we can stir together some uh, some potpourri. And uh, and I'm very confident that uh, a topics worthy of discourse would take place. But I, I really do. I really do try to have at least some thoughts in preparation for us to uh, kind of cultivate a direction of topic. Uh, don't don't want to always uh, leave you. uh uh, bereft of uh, any kind of uh, nurturing around uh, healthy biblical thoughts, healthy godly thoughts, and healthy um, spiritual dialogue. So, again, welcome to the Monday edition of Lifeline. The number to reach me if you have a question, if you have a comment, if you have a topic, question, comment, or topic, question, comment or topic and you want to field that with our beloved listening audience one triple eight three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine is to reach me with your comment topic or question on the monday edition of lifeline we are smack dab into the middle of july and um 
Uh, time is moving quickly as we are in the middle of our summer. You know how summer comes and goes extremely quickly, particularly if you're a parent, July 15th, as a matter of fact. And um, it's over with. And next thing you know, you're back in the, the hustle and bustle of uh, putting kids in school, etc. I'm free from that. Me and my wife were talking just a little while ago, a couple of hours ago, about the gradual <clears throat> reality for us of an empty nest scenario. And, 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 you know, we were a little bit intimidated about it a few years back, maybe three, four, five years back. It's for a number of reasons that, that parents who've been parenting seems like almost 100 years understand that, you know, a lot of our identity is often wrapped up in our children. And as a consequence, we, um, we, we, we knowing that they are going to make their way up out of the home into their own space and life and calling and purpose, et cetera, leaves you wondering what does, uh, what does uh, Jesse and Barbara Gistan look like when, uh, when, uh, when the kids are gone in terms of just total, I mean, total, freedom to to do what uh what we want to do what does that look like we we couldn't imagine it many years ago just couldn't imagine what total freedom looks like so um but today after uh really thinking through and working through um Actually, this is phenomenal. All right, we'll get to it in a moment. Um, working through the reality that most of our kids are well out of the house. We've got a few uh, <laughs> on the tarmac to pull out. And um, when you go from eight children to two or three, and those two or three are just really just kind of uh, ships in the night. Yeah, you got to really figure out how to do a whole day and a whole night with that woman or that man in the context of marriage, in the context of a heterosexual uh, monogamous marriage, in the context of um, of living with that person for the remainder of your life. You got to really figure out what should be an art form of uh, of relationship and collaboration and cooperation to make the latter days of your life um, as productive and as fruitful and as blessed as possibly can be. That's kind of where we are. We are in that phase of working through um, what it means to be uh, empty nesters. And we love the idea. Don't get me wrong. Really do. Um, I, over the last year, like I said, we began to clean the slate and then begin to think through what will be the priorities that will fundamentally dominate uh, our lives so that our lives are filled with uh, meaning and purpose. Fortunately, at this moment, we're healthy enough to be able to continue to engage in the life of the people of God at a deeply um, uh, momentous level. So we aren't, we aren't retired, won't be retired for at least another 10 years. The Lord say the same minimally. And, uh, and so, yeah, we are, we're excited about uh, them getting on up out and us being able to live within the framework of a space that consists of uh, two people who've been together for about 40 years now. And, uh, and happy about it. I was saying all that to say when I got up this morning, because my life is fundamentally routine and it's rooted around uh, serving God, serving his people in the context of pastoring, teaching, counseling, uh, and then modeling life. I really do believe that the pastor, elders, deacons, 
and those who have lived their lives in Christ long enough understand the comprehensive nature of witnessing in order to encourage, build up, and guide the flock. Um, my pattern of life has been before many of you for, for many years, and I'm thankful that on a Monday morning, uh, I get up with uh, a measure a measure of urgency to make sure that I'm ready to have a conversation with people, hundreds and thousands of people on Monday afternoon at this time that advances your understanding of God, advances your understanding of the times we live in, advances your commitment to Christ, or challenges you at least on where you are in this time at this moment, so that I'm praying always that God would enter into our dialogue, God would enter into our conversation, that God would be glorified, and that he would guide it in a way that would bless us. Uh, Having been in radio and having heard radio for many years, it is an absolutely phenomenal blessing that has enormous responsibilities with it, which has tremendous upsides and can be the most dangerous thing in the world if misunderstood, misapplied. If a heart, which is the basis of the mouth, out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speak, if the heart is devoted to the maniacal agenda of the wicked one, a microphone is nothing but a mass propaganda instrument by which masses of people can be deceived and manipulated and controlled to do horrendously evil things, horrendously evil things. Conversely, however, when a microphone is used properly uh, and in a fit fashion, I don't know about you, but particularly in my earlier days as a child of God, when God initially quickened me by his grace and drew me through the gospel and opened my ears Because that's the first thing that will occur is hearing. Faith comes by hearing. And that hearing transforms into a sight. It's called understanding. It's called illumination. It's called comprehension of the glory of God in Christ in in a intellectual and a mental way as a consequence of of, uh, the propagation of the gospel. When when that begins to occur as a consequence of communication, we know then that there is a major battle in the celestial realm around the power to be able to control the microphone. You guys know that. I think if some of you are as old as I am, you remember the days way back in the early uh, 60s when you had um, the world ending that radio program where people were sitting with bated breath at their radios listening to the notion of Martians coming in and taking over the world and how much panic that struck in the hearts of people. Do you guys remember that? Do you also remember, um, sadly enough, what happened 25 years ago today in Rwanda where for over 100 days, There was the mass killing of people groups who essentially had no ethnic difference among themselves. The Hutus and the Tutsis killing each other over a hundred day period, something to the tune of a million people died. Now, if you don't know that, it's because our media was complicit in suppressing the reality of that horrid event that just happened in 1995. For us, 
just happened in 1995. And when one understands the background to that horrific Holocaust, you know what one of the main culprits was bringing about the slaughter of Hutus and Tutsis among themselves with machetes and, and knives and pitchforks because they were a common ag- a gregarian culture of agriculture and farming? A million people in a hundred days. That's a little more than three months, ladies and gentlemen. It was radio that was used significantly to spark division among men and women who were actually family members, but who had, got, who had gotten divided fictitiously by powerful government uh, rulers outside of the scope of their own country. We call that colonialism. You guys know that went down. America's a, 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 a leading party in the history of colonialism. You can't get away from that. That's why we are still dealing with a lot of the reverberations of that history on a number of levels today because you just can't get past some of the seeds. So in any event, what I'm talking about is how the radio was used on the part of the um ruling party at that time to tell the people who were part of the ruling party group, I believe was the Hutus, that the Tutsis are enemies. And here they are, family members, actual actual blood relatives, but divided by party lines, by ethnic lines that were drawn up fictitiously by uh, outside governments. As was the case, if you will, by Iraq of Iraq and Saudi Arabia and the countries around that area as they were divided and the people were made to have to live in a kind of political hostility among themselves up until the Iraq war. That's right. When you carve up lands and you demand that people understand political distinctions and when in when in fact formally before it occurred, no political distinctions were ever set there, all because of uh, interest on the part of ruling nations. You are setting up divisions that will lead to civil war. Now, what's your point, PJ? Well, my point is this. When I think about all of the stuff that's going on today in our country. All of the rhetoric, all of the noise you hear everywhere on radio, all of the political harangues, all of the left-right bantering, all of the left-right posturing, all of the left-right terminology. What happened to the people in Rwanda 25 years ago, of which they're celebrating now? All of the fundamental mechanisms are there for the dismantling and division and hostility and political madness and uh, savagery of our own country. It's all there. It's all right there. We are right now divided along party lines, ideological lines um, um, that are fictitious and uh, non-essential in terms of an eternal perspective. That's why yours truly does not at all exalt and promote politics on this program. If you hear me talk about them, I'm coming from a totally outside perspective because I've had enough of it in terms of uh, being politically involved many years ago and recognizing that it does not aid and abet the gospel much at all. And uh, if you get... If you get actualized, if you get activated, like the sales in uh, in in uh, for the jihadist terrorists, if you get if you get actualized, if you get activated, you will find yourself operating out of the same fomenting hostilities and almost irrational uh, retorts that uh, unfortunately happened in the days of uh, Hitler 
Happened in the days of uh, of uh, Rwanda. Uh, the same kind of, uh, you know, boogeyman mentality that that uh, had people sitting at the radio and being overwhelmingly convinced that we actually have Martians landing with all of the effects and everything because we can do it. You guys know we can do it. Sadly, this stuff goes on in religion, too. I remember when I first was converted, there was nothing like this kind of just over the top eschatological uh Frenzy going on. Late, late, great planet Earth. Al, Al, uh, Al, um, Al Lindsay, as well as um, Don't Be Left Behind or Left Behind by Tim LaHaye and many others who are jumping on the bandwagon. Good pastors, good preachers on the radio pumping it out. Why? People are running the church. People are giving their offerings. People are paying to hear it. People are ready to get on the Lord's side. Because they were compelled by just just this kind of over the top fantastic uh, propaganda about his return, only to discover that it divided and it created character flaws in people, and they began to do things that were unbecoming of of believers, and it really did cause a lot of loss of ground in terms of what it means to be a witness for Christ, in terms of what it means to reach the lost world. It really did. I mean, you can paint the picture all you want, but look at the landscape of Christianity in America today. Uh, Post-eschatological friendly, post um, our dear uh, brother... um, Ah, he's passed away now. The Bible bus, McGee, post McGee's era. Here we are now, and the church doesn't have much to say at all in our world. And our world is in a mess. And the church is not clear on what the frontline battles are. It's not clear on what the salient issues are to which the church should be speaking prophetically. You got all kind of crazy calling itself being missional for Christ within the context of social justice. But that's at the expense of the gospel, I must say. Gospel is lost in terms of the true gospel and the real purpose from the gospel and the real need of mankind. It's gone. And now you hear you just hear a, a kind of faint voice here and there. Most of what goes on is, oh, we just need to love one another and get along. That's not the prophetic voice. So what I was saying as I get ready to break them way overdue is that a microphone can be used for the conversion and the clarity and the coherence and the building up and the edifying and the making men and women productive citizens in any part of the world if it's done right. If it's not, all we do is balkanize. All we do is subdivide, 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 and create this intersectional chaos and confusion that ultimately belies the fact that uh, we are descending into darkness. I got one line open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One line open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. My banter was around uh, remembering Rwanda and the implications of Rwanda. Uh, in their world as well as in ours. And uh, when I come back, I'll take your phone calls. I've got one line open. We will get to talking. I will take your questions and comments and observations, and we'll try to make um, a go at um, a potpourri for today. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. You are listening to Jesse Gistin. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we're back the time, 530 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Let me read this and I'll go to the phone lines. We do have one line open, one triple eight. 
367 concerning that fateful day in 1995. Um, so it actually started in 1994, 25 years ago. Uh, here is what the author of one uh, commentary about it uh, has to say. This was Hamza Muhammad. He says, Rwanda's genocide was 100 days of killing. On April 6, 1994, a plane-carrying then-Rwandan president, Juvenal Habyarimana, was shot down as it prepared to land in Kigali. Everyone on board, including Cyprian uh, Tamaria, president, uh, president of neighboring Burundi, was killed. The two leaders were returning from Tanzania, where they had watched this. They had signed a peace agreement with rebels from the Tutsi minority group. In other words... They were coming home to tell everyone we have made an official treaty of peace. The downing of the plane triggered some 100 days of slaughter. More than 800 people, mainly Tutsis, were killed by government-allied Hutu forces who accused them of killing the president, a Hutu himself. Thousands of moderate Hutus were also killed, now watch this, for refusing to take part in the genocide. I will make an application. To this in a moment. The Tutsi-led Rwandan Patriotic Front, called the RPF Group, headed at the time by Kagame, accused Hutu hardliners of shooting down the plane to provide an excuse for carrying out the premeditated slaughter. In other words, it was already planned to attack the poor people of the, uh, of the Tutsis. Several investigations have been unable to determine who fired the rocket that brought down the jet. More than 800,000 people, mainly Tutsis, were killed by the government-allied Hutu forces during that time. Now, uh, I can go on to say that a country having gone through that kind of devastation after 25 years is now walking in a kind of unity and harmony and peace that we could really learn from. How do family members, sons and daughters and uncles and cousins commit that kind of slaughter? A million people in 100 days, only 25 years ago, now walk in a kind of unity. We could learn from them. We really could learn from them because we are on the brink of the same kind of uh, rhetorical and, and uh, again, balkanizing, uh, irrational uh, division rooted in all kinds of fictitious categorizings and identity markers and uh, self-imposed uh, groups uh, empowered by politics, quite frankly. Let me go to line one and talk with uh, Don Souza. Don, on line one, are you there? Yes, sir, I am. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. What's your question, comment, or observation? Well, I have a couple questions, but if I could just briefly talk about when you were mentioning the Rwandan uh, massacre, there was a book that I read by a gal. She was a Tutsi uh, woman, but young at the time. And uh, her name is Imakuli Libagaza. Yep, good way of expressing and it. You did a good job. Thank you. Um, she was a survivor. Sure. And she has a book. It's called Surviving the Rwanda Holocaust. And there are some powerful moments in that book. I believe she's a Christian. Mm-hmm. 
um, when you hear her testimony, even though she was she's from a Catholic family, but there was a powerful moment in the book where towards the end of that uh, massacre, she was brought to a prison where the guy who was, there was a guy there responsible for murdering uh, her family. And though they brought, they brought this guy in bound in chains and shackles and the guard was going to let her do anything he, she wanted to this guy, kill him, whatever. And she looked at this guy, and the only, she said, the only thing I have to offer this man is forgiveness. And I forgive him for murdering my family. And the only one that actually survived within her family was her and her brother. And the only reason why her brother survived, because he was studying abroad. And, uh, but she survived in a five-foot-by-five-foot five bathroom with 15 other women and, and a Hutu priest was the one that hid them for a hundred days. Um, powerful, powerful book. And, um, so it just, I mean, it was one of those books I just could not put down. Absolutely. I, for, I, go ahead. No, I was saying I, I fully understand, uh, the sentiments. I've read several books from different perspectives, different pastors who were engaged in the Rwandan war at that time as well. I know, as I know about the particular book you are talking about, remarkable stories. Here's the principle we'll extract because this is the only reason I, I brought it up, Don, is sure. that, is that what is giving, uh, Rwanda Rwanda, the capacity for recovery to the extent that it's recovering after 25 years, whereas our country does not have anywhere near that kind of potential. None whatsoever in our country. None whatsoever. We haven't yet come to the level of bloodshed that ought to cause us to grieve over what we are by nature yet, because we still think somehow that we are clean and pure as the wind driven snow. But 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 what the Rwandans knew is that this was not about reparations. This is not about, you know, overt justice. It was not about anything other than recognizing that if we're going to actually recover, we have to forgive. And the story of forgiveness mounts up from many people within the Rwandan culture where they have actually destroyed the notion of ethnic groups. No, no Tutsis, no Hutus anymore, just Rwandans. They recognize that to create those fictitious categories played a significant role in the division and the hostilities that led to them committing the kind of heinous criminal debauchery that any of us by nature would be inclined to when we are deceived, when we are afraid, when we have been hypnotized, when we have been propagandized, when we have been led to think that we are better than our neighbor. That's what's going on in our country right now. And the the story that you're talking about, they've many of the survivors have told many of those stories. Of course, you got people on the other side, but not much. The beauty of this and the reason I'm bringing it up, Don, is that our country needs to know that it's not going to learn what to do right in terms of the gradual disintegration that's taking place here from the inside. It won't happen here. They're going to have to go abroad and see how people who have been in other kinds of Holocaust overcame the evil among them and have been able to get on a substantial path of healing in a short time. And it's going to be it's going to require in our nation, Don, a a revival that leads back to a solid gospel preaching 
presence where men and women are broken before God and recognize that the only way to reconcile is through forgiveness. It's not through a bunch of these political devices and instruments that are going on today. All this is doing is increasing our trajectory towards a Rwandan type outcome. Yes, and I oh, and I have to keep that in the forefront of my own in my own mind because as a Christian, I am called to be a, to be a follower of Christ first. Yep. And uh, whatever political party, which I'm not really a part of any, but um, but that 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 to me has to be at the back end of of what I actually really believe uh, as follow, in following Christ. I totally agree. Which. Which is going to lead me to my next question. Um, in Mark, yesterday when I was at church, our pastor uh, was talking about spreading the seed and, and how seeds fell on different uh, kinds of soil. Sure. My, my question is, is that a salvation uh, parable that Jesus was talking about? Um, and... Uh, is that a salvation issue, um, for one? For two, there was also Jesus talking uh, about, um, and I don't know where in the New Testament it is, you probably know exactly where it is, but when Jesus says, whoever confesses me before God, I will confess. Who before me and I will confess him before God. Exactly. Got now, I, I have to think that Jesus is talking about those who follow him, and because I started thinking about some of the some of the characters within John, uh, like uh, Joseph from Arimathea, uh, Nicodemus, some who kept quiet and silent and not really vocally uh, expressing uh, their confession of Christ uh, in their own life, does that kind of fall along the same lines? Well, let me let me deal with both of them uh, quickly, and then I'll have to take a break. Okay. The, the first right. one, the first one is that absolutely the parable of the sower and the seed, which you find in the three gospels, not in the synoptic gospel of John, but in the gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they are all there, and they are all in a rich uh, uh, narrative form that is slightly different by all three, but enough harmony there for us to actually develop a, an embellished picture of what salvation is via the ministry of the proclamation of the gospel. Uh, the sower is Jesus Christ himself. Uh, the seed is the word of God. It's sown into the soil. The soil are the hearts of men, four types of soil, wayside soil, stony ground, shallow ground, and then good soil. It's only on the good soil that the word of God takes root downward, bears fruit upward, 30 fold, 60 fold, 100 fold. The other three soils represent the word being sown on soil where are the, the wayside where men and women do not really regard the word of God at all. The shallow ground is where people play church and they're happy with Jesus as long as they don't have any troubles. The thorny ground is people having Jesus in their back pocket, but really what governs their life are riches and wealth and what uh, Luke, Mark, and Matthew call the deceitfulness of riches. To me, that dominates, that really describes much of the Christianity in America. If America had to have everything taken away from them but Jesus, they would probably 
fall apart and end up denying the faith. Whereas in many of our third world countries, all they have is Jesus. And so that parable is really giving us an insight into the difference between the um, uninterested hearer, the hypocritical hearers, and the true hearers. That fourth soil representing people who hear the word of God, understand it, believe it, and bear forth the kind of fruits that evidences that they've been really truly born again. It should alarm all of us to keep us making our calling and election sure. The latter one that you uh, were stating, and now remind me again of that last uh, observation or question you had. Well, it made me uh, it made me think about uh, when Jesus talked about. Oh yeah, I got it. I got it. Yeah, yeah. right. Let me let me say this, and this is a beautiful observation. The thing that Jesus was talking about, confessing before men that we might be confessed by Him before the Father. Uh, cannot be fully comprehended in a kind of one-time scenario uh, perspective. Peter did not confess Jesus when the little girl came to him and said, I know you're a Galilean. Peter denied that he knew him. He even cussed him out. All the disciples abandoned him. You guys, you do remember that. So there was none with Jesus on that fateful day when they could have borne record that they were with him for three and a half years. What Jesus was talking about is what happens when a man or a woman professes faith in Christ, Adam, but does not have the Holy Spirit. I mean, really have the Holy Spirit, not liver quivers, not dancing in the aisles, not babbling. I'm talking about being really, truly born again, rooted and grounded in Christ and living by a vital communion with Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God, which the only way you and I can stand before danger and really say Jesus is Lord is by the power and grace of the spirit of the living God, which was poured out on all these characters whom I had just spoken, namely the apostles, the disciples before they were apostles poured out on them at Pentecost. And immediately the dynamic of boldness and confidence in the face of danger allowed them to preach the exalted ruling, reigning sovereign seated session. Jesus And they did it even unto their death. And we have the history of believers throughout church history, sometimes collapsing into what we call uh, uh, hiding and and denying Jesus. And later on, recanting and repenting and coming to recognize that it's better to die for Christ than to live for this world. I can tell you story after story of how the church uh, under persecution had to deal with people who had recanted Christ, but later on came back. And so uh, you and I want to be gentle with Matthew chapter 10. Whosoever does not confess me before men, I will not confess him before my father. I'll deny him before my father. That is a need for you and I to ask for help. We don't have the power in ourselves to stand before bloodthirsty, demon-controlled, God-hating people who would kill us for Christ's sake without the power of the Spirit. Thank you, my brother, for a great question. Three lines are open. Three lines are open. one 888 I'm way overdue. We're going to pay some bills, and then I'll take your phone calls. Three lines open. one 888 I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we're back at the time, 552. Two lines open, one 888 You can call me with your questions or your comments or your observations. Two lines open, one 888 Let's go to line number three and talk with Stephen in San Jose. Stephen, are you there? 
Pastor Jesse. How you doing? I'm great. What's your question, comment, or observation, sir? So my observation is I've been really digging into the Word um, just before I, you know, read God's Word, just asking the Holy Spirit to um, give me the eyes to see what you'd have me see, the ears to hear what you'd have me hear, and a heart to understand what you'd have me understand. And I read the Word out loud because, I don't know, it just helps me to see the picture of what's going on. Mm -hmm. But I've noticed this consistent theme that Jesus was talking about, how um, the Father is in Him, and He's in the Father. Sure. And then, as He is in us, we are also in Him. Right. So that makes us all united, one, with the Father, and that when we glorify God and we glorify Jesus and we have the Holy Spirit speaking to us as He's pouring out and revealing Himself to us, and we worship and praise because we're so fired up by um, just the magnificent things that Christ did for us and the obedience to the Father, that as we glorify Him, we share in that glory, mm-hmm. and that He is also in giving to us, He prayed to give us, give us His joy, too. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's overwhelming. And you just want to reach out and praise God and praise Him, and praise Him, and praise Him, and share with everybody what what you're seeing and hearing from the Spirit of God. I agree. I fully agree. Uh, <laughs> I don't have that's no, it. I don't have it. I don't. I just, go on. <laughs> sorry. Uh, no. I just wanted to let you know. I listen to you. You feed. You feed. you like Jesus said to Peter. If you love me, will you feed my lambs? Will you feed my sheep? My encouragement to you is you are feeding us, and I appreciate you. I listen to you almost as every 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 day as much as I can at noon, and I always get fed meat. Listen, and I just appreciate it. And I'll tell you what that's a consequence of, Stephen. That's a consequence of your fellowship with the Father and His Son, uh, because that's what Christ promised. He made that very clear. This is kind of what I was saying to my brother before uh, the break, that um, being able to witness to people has to be more than just a, a human uh, uh, com- uh, com- compunction. It has to really be the Father through the Son, by His Spirit, actually compelling us to share this gospel with people, knowing that we might die for, but the glory that you're talking about, this is the communicable glory of God to his people because we are one with Christ. And that's exactly what Christ promised. He said it like this, and I'll encourage you as you go. He said it like this. Jesus said it in John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, if any man love me, he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him he that loveth not my he that loveth me not keepeth not my saints and the word which he hears is not mine but the father's what christ plainly said is if we love him the father loves us the son loves us and they dwell with us and he promises to reveal himself to us and that revelation is impossible to keep on the inside I, how do you how do you keep omnipotence how do you keep glory how do you keep love how do you keep righteousness how do you keep holiness how do you keep purity how do you keep the the most wonderful reality in all the universe to yourself the answer is you can't and so this is what prepares us to share the gospel with men and women even in the face 
of uh, suffering. So you stay under the font, my dear brother. Drink deeply of your communion with the Father and the Son, and he will use you because that's the purpose for which he called you into communion and fellowship with him. And thank you for those encouraging words. I and all pastors who are seeking to be faithful to the word of God need that kind of encouragement. Bless you, my dear brother. Bless you. Let me go to line number... Amen. Let me go to line number two and talk with um, Nelson and San Mateo. Nelson, are you there? Hi. Um, yeah, thanks for the words on um, the Rwandan thing. And um, it, it's that's the difficult way we're having today. Like, you know, I listened to the Congresswomen who respond to the Trump's right. racist, racist tweets. Right. And, um, but he was, but he, but he, but his so-called racist tweets. So you and I can have this conversation, and I'm glad you called because you know people on both sides of the aisle, good, well-meaning Christians, who go to your church and my church. Uh, not to say that you're a pastor, but I mean I know you go to church and I know you go, I know where you go, and I can tell you, uh, uh, brother Nelson. Not anymore. I'll just okay, say okay, that. okay. I haven't uh, been to I, church in a while, and. I, I guess some pre some pastors aren't really that approachable. I got all and, that, but leave that alone. Leave that alone. Anyways, going back. Sorry. Yeah, going back. I'm praying for you because you need to be part of a body. You can't justify sitting on an island. You know that. Arthur Pink got in trouble for that. But anyway, here's what I want to say: that the community of believers who are legitimately and truly born again, because you're an erudite man, you know church history, you know that we've had extremely flawed men throughout history with a lot of blind spots across the board and some so intolerable that I wouldn't want to have anything to do with them apart from the gospel because it just wouldn't have been practically wise for my physical health to be part of their lives. And yet God used them mightily on so many different levels. That being the case, um, for me, we have to be very fair and honest about what you and I are observing in our present political climate. I happen to have a great deal of interest in what's going on with Omar, what's going on with the left, what's going on uh, with uh, a lot of the intersectional categories that are taking place uh, on the part of the growing socialist uh, ideology. I have a lot of interest in it for a lot of the reasons, and I know you do too. That means I also still maintain a vital vital, uh, critical eye on the right and a lot of its uh, underlying presuppositions that are intolerable to me as well, not as a black man uh, hating white people, uh, perish the thought, or a black man being upset with white people. I'm not. Perish the thought. Uh, both categories are fictitious if I wanted to segue out of it. I'm, we're neither black nor white if we really deal with it on biological level. But while we're just dealing with categories, here's the reality. I agree with you that Trump crossed the line, absolutely crossed the line. It was unpresidential. It was, um, it was uncensored. It was careless. But what the president has been doing since the day he's been hired is to satisfy a constituency at many levels of their frustration with a lot of very bad leftist sociological ideas. And I know that you know that while um, the socialist agenda 
uh, has some extremely good impo- uh, good good uh, elements to it. We we all should understand that there, the idea of caring for our neighbor, the idea of taking care of people, the idea of um, equality on a number of levels is absolutely essential. Just you know the the drive towards a legitimate, healthy uh, worldview on civics and humanitarianism just should Christians shouldn't even debate it except for challenging and deconstructing and exposing the premise behind liberalism, which is Marxism, as you know. Um, I I have a real concern about Omar and uh, the other women who... um, who have been targeted, unfortunately, by Donald Trump. I have real concern with their policies. I, a lot of their policies needs to be exposed for having roots in irrationality, having roots in uh, a, a kind of um, of uh, a socialist country that could never happen in America for so many different reasons. That being said, that being said, they need to be respected as women. They need to be respected as states uh, persons. They need to be respected for their office. And it would be it would have been better, in my opinion, if their uh, views didn't have the freedom of hashtags and and public viewing, as well as the case would be for the president, as the proverb puts it. And I want to hear from you after this. I really do. Uh, In the multitude of words, there lacketh not sin. And a fool is known by the multitude of his words. And President Trump has just occupied that position tons of times uh, for me, which is unfortunate because it just really sets him back when he does that. He cannot represent the whole nation when he uses a novel adolescent uh, retort, like go back to your own country if you don't love this country. And yet, Nelson, you tell me, does that not speak to many people uh, here in America who are also good loving Christians and who also are trying to do right, but are uh, in that, that right category. Would that not uh, represent their, their worldview, their sentiment? Without a doubt. Um, Sorry for mentioning the ministry, but you know, I was on Alpha and Omega website and they, when we talk about the immigration thing and people are talking about, they they brought up the verses on boundaries, and the Bible does have those verses that you should have boundaries. But then I put up the verses about how you treat the immigrant and the stranger, and then you know the president Alpha Omega he he blocked me, and and then he told everybody I blocked Nelson. <laughs> you know, so so yeah, yeah, and and he he didn't have any compassion when Roseanne Barr called the the black um, lady a monkey. You know, he said, well, the people in the view should be kicked off, too. They should lose their job, too. So, yeah, they have that extreme right-wing view, and, it, and it's rooted in pride and arrogance. That's why we can't get anywhere. That's why I was called. How can we I, – I, you know, I think Billy Graham said the answer in the 1950s. I think he was in Hawaii in the 1950s. It was on YouTube. Yeah. He just put on Graham on Racism. He sure. said – a lot of people, you know, of our persuasion, uh, theologically speaking, they don't like the word psychology, but he said the problem is not just spiritually, he said it's psychology, because it's like, it's the way people think, and, and, and people aren't going to really change until God does a revival in people, and people start loving each other and everything. But people really believe that they have to have this extreme... Um, ultra-conservative view that really wasn't the view of 
um, Dwight Eisenhower or Gerald Ford, but they've evangelicals and some reform people, they, they've just gobbled up the gold water in Reagan view, which was more mild, you know, racially than it was than, um, you know, Stephen King and Peter King in New York. Sure. Um, and, um, you know, Jer- you know, Jerry Taylor, I was watching, looking at his biography. He was raised by Christian parents in Japan. Sure. And then he was, went to West Africa and, and he's become the leader of white nationalism yeah, but do you, you know, from the intellectual way. No, I got you. And, and yet I can easily parse through your uh, his, historiography here. I could easily parse through that little brief historiography and tell you you're conflating politics with religion. And unfortunately, that's the problem here in America. And I'm not saying you're doing that on purpose, Nelson. I'm saying that you've you got two categories going on. Uh, and it almost sounds like, it, you know, that should that should not be assumed. But the fact of the matter is, whenever we take our Christianity and and subsume it under a political ideological construct, whether left or right, depending on what your opponents do, you're going to be driven to an extreme position. And history now has moved us to that point where we are at present. You are right. It didn't have these kind of elements uh, in terms of the right. I'm not going to even talk about the ultra right right now because the ultra right is the consequence of a left right dialectic that you've been hearing me talk about for the longest. Hegel warned about this. He says the left right battle always results in pushing in one, one direction and the two parties that don't find that consensus only become more and more extreme. I see more and more and more and more extremism on the left. Uh, compared to many years ago, you have very rational, you know, liberalism was really a very solid worldview at one time that had a whole lot more um, uh, fundamental biblical principles in terms of uh, practical responsibility, personal uh, freedoms, personal rights than uh, what is being touted as liberalism today. You know it. I'm not even asking you because I know you know it. So what you and I are dealing with today is a morphed monstrosity of a left right uh, Uh, ideological construct that comes off in the media as if this is the way that it's always been. And the reason why I gave the uh, Rwandan uh, example, uh, Nelson, and all of us that are listening is because I see us moving to that fevered pitch of irrationality, the inability to, to actually even see common, just logical things as things upon which we should be agreeing. There are a ton of things on the right and the left that should be agreed upon there should not be an absolute freedom for people to come in here any kind of way they want to i if you were to say that i would say i'm praying for you uh but i know you're not going to say that and yet that is almost exactly what the left is saying when they say don't send people back on the other hand i wouldn't dare suggest that it is christian in the slightest degree to be dealing with people in the kind of grotesque unkind, harsh punishment methodology that our government is engaging in. I would not promote that kind of condemnation on people who are just trying to escape in in what is often, as you know, uh, the consequences of colonialism in the countries that they're coming from. You and I know this. There's no doubt about that. And and so we are in a quagmire, uh, Brother Nelson, because the moment that we agree with one side, I can tell you, there's going to be a lot of things about that one side that are good and bad. 
The moment we agree with the other side, it's going to be the same thing, too. Unless you just have the ability to parse the good on either side that you take, we're going to end up promoting the same kind of hostile conflict. Because, see, this is what you almost did with my brother James White. And, see, I can actually tell you that the preponderance of his positions are healthy and well. And he does a great job when you listen to him overall in his trying to strike the balance as to what, uh, how Christians should actually view these things and deal with them. And yet you brought his name up because you and him are out of squabble. I, I, I didn't bring his name. You up. did. You said Alpha and Omega. He, Anybody he, could he, find him. He's not the president. He's not the president of Alpha and Omega. Oh, oh, um, oh. He, he, he's the head theologian, but he's moved on to something else, I think. But he's probably, he's probably no, still. No, he's uh, still there. When did you? When no, did you? He, he's not the president. He, he, believe me, trust me on this one. He's okay. Not the so, president. so the, one guy named Stephen so and so is the president. Okay. Now, Stephen does not. Okay. So when you, yeah. But see, when you make mention of Alpha and Omega, because uh, John, uh, uh, James is still doing Alpha and Omega every week, two or three times a week. So when you use the name, that's what people are going to identify with because he's the voice on there. So yeah, you might have had a, you might have had a battle with somebody. The background, so I'm gonna I'm I'm definitely take that correction. And if that dude in the background uh, doesn't have the same kind of uh, care and balance that that James does when James is dealing with this, because he's in the heart of this too. And in my opinion, he does one of the best jobs apologetically and exegetically in demonstrating the farce of the social justice movement with this Marxist philosophy trying to perpetrate itself as Christian practicalism. And we need to be able to hear that because anything other than the true gospel will never, ever bring us to a resolve. This is where Rwanda can really help us. This is about forgiveness and reconciliation. This is not about reparations. This is not about the big payback. This is not about, you know, uh, uh, a kind of humanism that can never, ever be realized apart from the grace of God and apart from the gospel. And our country is fast abandoning the gospel, both on the left and on the right. Would you agree with that? I agree. I, I mean, look look at the, the evangelical who, who, who have this bizarre um, um, ritual in their church, some of them, maybe not a lot of them, that, that were ripping Nike gear apart and, and boycotting Nike gear. And, you know, I mean... All right, you now you now sliding you all... It, all right, all right, now you sliding all over the map. That's a whole nother... No, no, but you said... That's an anomaly. They, 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 they're, they're, they're not... They're, do- they're getting away from the gospel. How is that the gospel... Now I I ripping up Nike gear in church. Now that that's that's and, nothing but stupid mysticism. It's stupid mysticism. They probably took the term Nike because it has both a Christian and a Greek pagan god concept to it. And you know what Christians do when they're not grounded in truth? They get silly. Uh, that's an unfortunate condemnation for us as Christians. That's why people don't want to go to church because they don't want to be going up in these crazy houses watching professing Christians in the name of being moved by the Holy Ghost doing stupid stuff that is nothing but a kind of man-centered carnality. It never glorifies God, never exalts Christ, never advances a proper knowledge of the Word of God. Sad, 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 sad. But I'm so glad you're healthy, and I'm glad that you're calling, too, because you got a lot of good things to say, so call again. I'm way overdue. All four lines are open, one 367 All four lines are open, one 367 Remember, Wednesday Bible class is out of this world. I mean, in a good way, not like doo-doo-doo-doo. It's in a good way out of this. If you're not doing anything from 11 to noon to about 1230 on Wednesday mornings, we are having a great time in Psalm 91. Uh, 
Five more weeks, I think, maybe four, five, five. I'll be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 